Hey guys, how's it going? You guys good? All right. Well, my name's Joel. I'm the uh, small group coordinator here at True Life. I'm really excited to be up here. Uh, happy 4th of July to everybody. Uh, really glad you guys decided to come out before you hit the barbecues and whatever else. Um, I had this great idea. Uh, my work this year gave us off not only for 4th of July, but also for Juneteenth. And that's a new one, right? We got, it's a new holiday. I think it's going to be a, um, and it's not a new holiday, but it's a new holiday for us. Uh, and I told my coworkers and the team that reports to me, I was like, what I'm pushing for, because they gave us off work for that, gave us off 4th of July. If they could just give us the two weeks between, we could just declare it freedom season and just like get a bunch of time off work and a lot of barbecues. I would really be all for that. But I haven't really been able to convince like the leadership of my work yet for that idea, but I'm pushing for it. So join me, push for the freedom season, and we all get two weeks off work. Um, but I'm excited that you guys came out for 4th of July. We're in summer at True Life, and if it's okay with you, I'm going to share with you here just at the start my favorite 4th of July story. It has nothing to do with my sermon. Is that okay? You guys good with a good story? Is that all right? All right, you got to wake up a little bit. All right, let's get, let's get excited so by the time you get to your barbecue, you can be the life of the party, all right? Like, let, let, let's wake up a little bit. So 4th of July, we're going to go way back. I think this is like 2004, uh, 2005, something like that. I was dating my wife uh, at the time. We, I don't even think we were engaged yet. And um, she's from California, and I wanted her to get more familiar with what the East Coast was like. So we came out here for 4th of July to hang out with my family and... Um, and if you grew up around this area, you know that fireworks happen at the Bob Carpenter Center, right? And you can see them for miles away. Did anybody watch them? I think it was Friday this year. Did anybody watch them? Anyone? All right, see some hands? All right, cool. Last service, 8.30, nobody even knew fireworks existed. They're like, what is he talking about? Uh, but no, so every year, you know, we, we would go, and you can watch it from pretty much miles around. You, you set up in a park or along a road or whatever, and you can watch the fireworks. So we do that. Uh, the closest to my parents' neighborhood um, is Route 72. People just line up. They put their lawn chairs all along Route 72. People park in the nearby parking lots like Wawa and uh, gas stations and whatever else is nearby, and then they walk over and camp out on the road or on the side of the road. And uh, we did that, and right as the fire, we're, we're at the corner, like turning into my parents' neighborhood, and right as the first firework goes off, basically, right at the start, uh, a guy pulls up in a station wagon and parks like in front of us, um, like, like right in front of us. Like I can touch his car in front of us. And you're not really supposed to park there. Nobody else is parked there. And uh, I'm like, man, we're not going to be able to see very well now. And this is a, a guy and I think his wife or girlfriend. And then they have a, a toddler in the back and a grandma. And the grandma starts immediately as soon as they park. She's like, hey, those, those folks can't see. You got to move. And the son is kind of, whatever, blowing her off, just kind of being disrespectful. And, and so then what the grandma does, which was great, she grabs the toddler, and the wife's getting out too, and just sets her chair up, like, right next to ours, like, almost touching us, and is now yelling, I can't see. I can't see the fireworks. you got to move. I can't see the fireworks. And so they're now fighting. Fireworks are going off. Mom and son are fighting and, and yelling out the window at each other in this giant station wagon in our way. And again, showing Janelle what the East Coast is like. And so this is going on. And then the guy finally gets sick of his mom yelling. And so he tries to do a U-turn. 72 is a two-lane road. He has this giant station wagon. Uh, he cannot complete the U-turn. Um, instead, he blocks traffic. So now all of 72, both ways, just has cars lined up, going through the intersection up by Wawa and everything else. And everyone's mad, right? Just horns are honking, fireworks are still going off, people are yelling, and then out of nowhere comes this dude who looks like, looks like a retired firefighter from a movie. I only say that because he had this just giant handlebar mustache, just like big, bushy, gray mustache. He gets up and decides it's his, his turn to direct traffic, right? So he, he's like, ah, ah, and he's like, he's doing all the moves, and, and he decided to help the guy along to let him know what he was doing, but did so with lots of expletives. So like, just move your blanking car, you dumb, da, da. and, and uh, so the guy does move his, his car, and uh, he gets to the other side of the road, and he parks, and then he runs across the street, and he goes to the firefighter guy, that's what I call him in my story, uh, and, and he's just like, hey, say it to my face, and so now they are in the road yelling at each other, just all kinds of creative words and screaming, and, and, and fireworks are still going, right? Important to the story that I forgot to mention is, is when they got out of the car, the toddler said to the grandma, hey, like, grandma, I got to pee. Like, okay. So that's important to the story. So they're fighting, right? 
And while they're fighting, a police officer pulls up. Lights are on and all that. And now he's breaking them up, like physically. He's got his hands on their chest and he's like, guys, guys. And he's like, he's trying to break these up. And the mom and the grandma were behind uh, their guy, their team, and they're, they're shouting and like, you know, ah. and so there's all these people screaming and this cop's trying to break this up. And then out of nowhere, you hear another woman, because we're backed up to a neighborhood, yell, whose son is peeing in my yard? And we turn around and it was their son. And he's like three years old maybe. Pants around the ankle, and he's just peeing, like, doesn't care at all. And, uh, and so then the mom and grandma, you know, you think this is where they're going to be like, hey, sorry, that's my kid. No, no, no. They're like, that's my kid. How dare you yell at him? And so now you have these three women fighting, and they're screaming at each other. And the boy's just standing there, no pants, like he does not care. And the fireworks are still going off. And, uh, and this is all happening, like, in less space than this stage, right? It's all very close. It's like, like they're here and the women are there and we're like, ah. and the boy's just like hanging out a few feet from me. I'm like, oh, this is, this is awesome. And, uh, and then another cop shows up, right? So now you have two cop cars in the road with their lights on and now they're breaking the women up, right? They're like, hey, ma'am, ma'am, go, and there all kinds of words from both sides being screamed. And then the finale is happening. So the fireworks finale, just like, gah, 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 like tons of fireworks are going off. There's two cop cars going. Kid's got his pants off. Mom and grandma and other lady are screaming and there's a cop over there. Cop over here breaking the men up. And we already have our stuff in hand just like watching the fireworks show. And as soon as that last one went off, we're like, okay. And that's a wrap. And Janelle, this is what Delaware is like. Welcome to the East Coast. This could not have went any better if I planned it. Like this is exactly, this is the East Coast. And I love Delaware. Anybody like proud to be from here? Like I love it. That makes me happy. I was not at all ashamed. Like I tell the story because the, the best thing in my life is having a good story. So when that was happening, I was like, this, I'm going to tell this story for years. Like I love, like this is horrible, sure, but it's hilarious. And uh, I, uh, when I watched the fireworks this past Friday, two dads almost got in a fight, and I was like, here it is. Here's my new story. Oh, man. Like, this dad tried to drive his mini bike through a crowd to show off his cool, like, little motorcycle scooter thing, and some other dad, like, berated him for being dangerous, and um, nothing happened. It was really fizzled out. It was a terrible story, but I was hoping for, like, because they were, they were starting to yell, and he was like, oh, there's kids here. He's like, yeah, one of them's my kid. I don't care. Okay, and then they, they moved on. So, Newark is great. Delaware is great comes up with a lot of great stories. So we're in this series called Summer at True Life, and um, I love and hate this series. So the reason is because it's just open game. Like, you can talk about whatever you want, all the way from creation to the return of Christ. Like, anything that I want to preach on, I can preach on during this series, and honestly, I do better with guardrails. Like, hey, we're on this topic, or we're preaching this book of the Bible. I'm like, oh, perfect. I'll go study that. But when it's just like, hey, go for it, whatever you want, I'm like, ugh, it's overwhelming, right? So that's how I feel every year when I I come to this series, like trying to figure out what to preach. But this year, um, as I thought about it, I did have one thing in mind, and it was actually a conversation I had uh, with a guy that used to be in my life, sort of a mentor, um, and I got to see him last year. Me and uh, Pastor Michael were on a road trip. We happened to pass through his town, so I hit him up, and we had dinner, and, and something he said to me stuck with me, and it was really godly advice, wisdom, and it's just been kind of ringing in my head for the last year, um, and so that was sort of the spark that led me to go study and prepare and build this message out, um, and we'll get to that conversation at the end of this, but I, I think you guys have probably all had a conversation with somebody at some point that just never left, right? Like, it's just still playing in your head today at times, uh, and that can be for better or worse. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, but, but you know those moments where someone says something and it impacts you in a way where, like, I'm going to remember this. I need to make changes in my life because of this, and there was many of these with Jesus, but I want to take us to one that I kind of see as one of his top, because when you think of Jesus, I think this is one of the conversations that's most often quoted and thought about in the way he was teaching his disciples and the people following him. So if you will, go with me to Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter 6, and it says this, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Man, I love this passage. It is so revolutionary in what Jesus is saying here. And my worry sometimes when I read things like this that are sort of what I would call classic Jesus, like the things that we most remember that Jesus said, if you've been around church very long, you may have heard this so many times that you can hear it and kind of, it can kind of just gloss over. It can kind of just go, like, you miss how revolutionary what Jesus is saying really is. Partly because we've had 2,000 years now of church history, of other people preaching this message, of other people expanding on this message and trying to help us understand this message. So much so that I would say that, that some of this is sort of embedded in Western culture where even non-Christians would agree, yeah, this is probably good advice or this is a good moral uh, goal. And you can see that when you read other philosophers and leaders from the past hundreds of years, thousands of years, that were teaching things that somehow kind of tied back to this. People like Gandhi, who practiced nonviolence and is like, hey, you know, don't, uh, he, I'm not going to quote him right now because I'll butcher it. But, but there's others, M MLK and others, that are all building their platform, building their message off very similar to this. And so for us, we hear and we're like, oh yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Good. Yeah, love your enemies. That's, that's a good moral goal for us to have. But Jesus, in his day, is preaching something that nobody else was preaching. He, he is making a turn in history where he's saying, hey, you've heard this, now do this, right? He, he is teaching them something that the crowd would have been like, wait, what? You want us to love who? And, and I think also what, what, what trips us up sometimes is the day, the culture we live in here in America, um, sometimes it's hard for us to relate and go, we're like, who, who are our enemies, right? Like, I mean, we can go like high level and go like, oh, well, people that we're at war with, I guess, but like, I don't really interact with them and I, I don't really know what that is. And uh, maybe it's like that, that mean coworker, or I, I don't know, like who, who's my enemy? It, it's not as straightforward to the Jewish people hearing this. They had been invaded by Rome. Right? So Rome took over their city, killed some of them, and is now ruling their land and taxing them heavily and changing their laws and making them obey Roman customs and all of this. And so when Jesus says, hey, love your enemies, there's no question. The Jews are like, oh, I know who he's talking about, but does he really mean that? Like, does he really? Because, like, I've had Romans tell me to give, me, give, give them my coat, and he wants me to give them my shirt now, too? Like, this isn't, like, just theoretical. Like, he's saying things that would have meant something very real to them and were very different than the things that were being said by any other teachers of that day. And so, what does this look like for us? Loving our enemies. I want to talk through, for the next little bit here, some stories in the gospel, and I want to talk about three kinds of love. And I believe Jesus showed all of them perfectly and modeled them for us and were to show them in our life. So, we'll go through this, uh, and we'll go through some stories in the gospel to see these. We'll start in Matthew chapter 9, but this is the first kind of love that I want to talk about today. Love those like you. How do we love those that are like us? And what I mean by like us, I mean the people that are most similar, the most familiar to us. Um, and we're going to see Jesus do that by loving the Jewish people. Jesus was born into a particular context, a particular culture, and it was, it was a Jewish one, right? So Jesus was born a Jew, and he was surrounded by Jews. And what we'll see is early in his ministry, that is who he's ministering to. And for most of his ministry, that's who he's ministering to. So I want to take you to one in particular. In the book of Matthew, uh, this is the story of Jesus actually calling Matthew the disciple out. And we're going to see him love Matthew as well as some religious leaders, all Jewish, all similar to him. And so it says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. If you don't know, nobody likes tax collectors. Not today, not back then, right? Like, it's, it's a common thing throughout history. Nobody likes the guys that take your money away. Um, these guys even less so because they work for the Roman army. And so they really didn't like them. So he's sitting at his tax collector's booth, and Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple, he said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. 
Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Notice that, again, tax collectors are lumped in with disreputable sinners. Right? That, that's how people viewed the tax collectors. Um, and so Jesus here is loving them by having dinner, by hanging out with them. He's loving them. I mean, if we just read any other story where Jesus is at dinner, we get to see the kind of dinners he had. He wasn't just sitting around enjoying the food. He was often like talking and telling parables and, and, and like preaching the good news in a dinner setting. Like it, it was, it's very cool. So we can imagine that that is similar to here because Jesus is similar in all the places that he goes. And so uh, that's happening there. And then it says, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked him, his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Like just so great of a religious leader, right? Like they're just top notch. And um, so the Pharisees, they're Jews uh, and they're very self-righteous at this point in history. They kind of look at themselves really highly. They've added a lot of laws on top of the laws that God had given them. So they think they're better. So they look at these guys and they're like, why would he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I love that. I I love the way that's worded. I love how Jesus says this. And in this setting, he is showing love to those most most like him, um, even though they're two different kinds of people. The people that are sinners, he's, he's showing compassion to, he's eating with, he's showing love to them in that way. He's inviting them to follow him. And the religious leaders who think they have it all together, Jesus is actually giving them homework. And that is loving. He's like, hey, go study the scripture because you're missing it. Like you think you're good, but you've missed it. Like you've missed a really big chunk of it. And that's his part about being merciful, right? About showing mercy because you're not doing it. So you don't know the God you think you know because you've missed this giant chunk of it. Both of these are loving, and and both of these are to people that are most similar to Jesus. And throughout Scripture, uh, we are, uh, what what we'll see, especially in the New Testament, is that this is sort of entry-level love, right? That's why when, in the earlier passage, Jesus said, like, what reward is it if you love those who love you, right? But that is where we start often with love, is loving those that are most like us. This is our family members and maybe people that think like us, right, have a a similar worldview or or, or similar ideals. Maybe they live in our neighborhood or um, whatever, and, and, and it's okay, like that's not a bad thing, right? Like that's where we start, right? It's where kids start. Kids learn love by loving their family, the people that are most similar to them, right? Um, and so that's where we start, but it's not where we stay. Um, and, and when I say that this is the easiest kind of love, I don't mean that it's always easy. I think we could all say like, sure, family is most similar to us. That can also be one of the reasons it's so hard to love them at times. At least, for, let's say for parents, this is true. When I'm most angry at my kids, it's when they're acting like the most like me, right? Like when they just act like themselves, they're great. But as soon as I see things that I don't like about myself coming out in them, oh man, it is so infuriating. Uh, my daughter, she was in the last service. Uh, she's almost 12. And I'm telling you, she can argue so well over the dumbest things. And I know exactly where she got that, right? Like a hundred percent. Like I hear the arguments that she has with me and I'm like, that's a, good, that's a good point. It's wrong. You're still wrong. And you shouldn't be arguing with your dad. But like I, it, like I see myself in her and, and it's so frustrating to the point where like my wife has said before, like having sit around, it's like having two of you around when I need to argue with her. Like when, when she disagrees with me and she wants to do something I'm telling her not to do or whatever, she argues methodically in the same way you do where you like present your case. And I'm like, I know, right? It's great. And like, she's like, no, it's not great. It's so frustrating. And, um, you know, it, but, but you get, we get frustrated. And so I'm not saying that it's easy to love those like you, but I think that as a Christian, this is where we start. Uh, we start loving those who are most like us, but it's not where we stop and it's not where Jesus stops. So next, yellow line is my next point. No, um, next it's loving those or love those not like you. Love those that are nothing like you. And I want to take you to a really cool story in the book of John. Um, and we can spend all day on this story, but, but we won't. We'll spend part of our day here. And it's John chapter 4. And to set this up, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through a Samaritan town. And the Samaritans were very different than the Jews. And I'll, I'll explain more of that in a second. But he, he's traveling through this town. And he goes and sits down by a well to rest. And his, his disciples take off to get some food. And so we'll pick this up here. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And then she replies, How is it that you, a Jew, 
ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's a commentary from John, the author. Like this part is just quoting, and then he's like letting us know, hey, in case you don't know, in case someone's reading this who isn't super familiar with Jews and Samaritans, they don't associate. Um, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? I want to pause here before I go to the next verse. This is like one of the things that, like there's small things in the Bible that make me laugh sometimes when I'm reading it. And one of the things that makes me laugh is every time Jesus tries to use a metaphor or an analogy and people just don't get it. It just goes over their head. He's like, I have living water. She's like, yeah, right. You don't even have a bucket. And like, I just love that. Like she's talking to the son of God and she's like, you don't have a bucket. Um, it's like, I just always wonder like how sarcastic was Jesus and how much did he have to hold that back, right? Like that, that's what goes through my head. Like what, did he have like a comeback right there? And he's like, no, don't say it. Um, all right, so she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob. She's talking about Jacob, uh, the father of the nation of Israel, right, uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob who changed, God changed his name to Israel. Uh, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well water springing up in him for eternal life. And so what I want to show you in this conversation is that this woman is very different than Jesus. So when we talk about loving those that are not like us, this is a great place to look. Uh, and let me explain why. The Samaritans and Jews didn't associate, as we already read, because the Samaritans were viewed basically like a mixed race. So you had the Jews who considered themselves sort of uh, God's people, right? And, and that's what we read in the Old Testament, that God had called them out and chosen them and all of that. Um, and so they're very proud of that. And then the Samaritans come along, and what, what that is, it's that at some point Jews had married non-Jews and sort of branched off, and you got the Samaritans. Now the Jews who were, I guess, pure Jews or whatever you want to call them, uh, they didn't like that, right? And so they, they excluded and rejected the Samaritans and were like, you're not part of our people. You are not, you, you don't get to join in our worship. You don't get to be part of our customs or our culture. They rejected them outright, okay? And, and so there's so many times in this conversation that culturally speaking, Jesus would have had plenty of right to just end the conversation and walk away, all right? including just when she mentions that she's a Samaritan. Now, he probably would have known this already because they're passing through a Samaritan town. But as soon as she said that, any other Jew would have been like, okay, see ya, I gotta go. I didn't realize you were a Samaritan. Um, but not only that, but she also, uh, if we keep reading, find out that she has, f has had five husbands and is now just living with a guy. Uh, for anyone in that day, especially a religious Jew, that would have been a red flag. Like, I probably shouldn't associate with her. People are going to think things. I should get out of here. Jesus doesn't. He keeps talking. He keeps loving. He keeps talking to her about this living water that he wants to give her. Um, and then she calls Jacob her father. Um, this would have been like highly offensive to the Jews. Because again, they, they rejected that the Samaritans were ever part of their lineage or part of their family. Like they didn't like that. So her saying that to any other Jew would have been like, please stop saying that. Don't, don't call Jacob your father. And, and what I was thinking is like, what, what modern context is most similar to this? And there's not a lot like this in our day. So you kind of have to pull from something similar. So the closest I could think of was these tests that people take now, the uh, Ancestry.com or 23andMe. I don't know if anyone's taken those, but I'm sure you know somebody who's taken them. And there's always like that one guy or girl that like finds out they're like 1% or 2% something, and they are now really proud of that. Is anyone, yeah, or just me? All right. Uh, like, hey, you know, like, like, and they, you know, they're like, come on, man. Yeah, you know, they're, they're like, I'm 2%. Swedish, or I'm 2% African, or I'm 2% Latin American. Like, okay, all right, maybe. Or the test could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe take it again. Um, and, and like, it would be offensive in general. I'm not speaking for everybody, but in general, it would be offensive if all of a sudden they were like, I'm this, so now I'm going to partake in all of that culture, right? Like, that's mine now. Uh, I'm going to celebrate that holiday, or I'm going to dress this way, or I'm going to do this thing. Like, all of a sudden, be like, that's a little weird. Like, you, don't, you should, probably shouldn't do that. Like, just, just, you know. Don't do that. Uh, that's the closest I could think here. Like when she's saying Jacob is her father, you can just hear like a Jew saying, 
You're like 2% Jewish. Come on, man. Like, just slow your roll. Uh, stop saying Jacob's your father. He's not your father. He's our father. This, this would have been offensive. Like, that's what the point I'm trying to get across here. She is different, and Jesus doesn't care. And Jesus does not stop every little point that she makes to correct her and go, oh, oh, that's offensive. Or, oh, don't say that. Or, oh, you know, like, he just keeps loving her. He keeps presenting the living water, the gospel. And so where does this lead to? It leads to this interaction with her where it says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah, uh, come, I know that the Messiah coming, who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, pause here. This is huge. I don't know, if you haven't read the Gospels a lot, there's only a handful of times that really Jesus just comes out and says things very plainly, like, I am the Messiah. This is not like an everyday occurrence for him. A lot of Jesus' teaching was done in parables. It was done in questions. You would have religious leaders ask him questions like this, like, are you the Messiah? And Jesus would then say, like, I'll answer that question if you answer my question. And there was a lot of that going on in the Gospels for, for very specific reasons. But here Jesus comes right out, and he's just like, that's me. And, and this is the most loving thing Jesus can do at this point, is just share with her who he is so that she can know him. And one more verse, just to, because to, this verse fascinated me here. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Um, I loved this verse because I, I, I was like, this must be a typo. It must be with a Samaritan. That must be why they were amazed, right? Because women, I mean, I know it was 2,000 years ago, but they had women, right? Like, these, this is not a new thing. Um, so, like, why were they amazed that he was talking to a woman? Uh, so I looked it up and culturally speaking, uh, a lot of Jewish men did not speak with women in public. Like, this was not a normal thing. Um, more so, or even more so in religious communities, pe people who were Pharisees or religious teachers or things like that, not speaking with women in public. So much so that some of the stricter versions of this, some rabbis would teach, that men should even avoid speaking with their wives uh, in public or for certain times. And I know some of you are like, can we bring that back? No, it's ungodly, it was terrible. And look, men, like some of the wives are thinking the same thing, like, oh, if I could get a break, that would be great. But look, Jesus talking with a woman amazed his disciples. They're like, oh. And if you keep reading, it says they were amazed, but they kind of kept their mouths shut to see what was going to happen. Like, what do you mean what was going to happen? Like, um, but, but speaking with a woman publicly like this, it could often be seen as flirtatious, as forthright. It's kind of like, oh, is he hitting on her? What's going on? And they already kind of know, her, people already know her character in the town. Like, oh, she's been married five times. She's living with a guy. And now some guy's talking to her at the well. Like, this looked bad. I want to be clear. This is not something that like generally was like, oh, okay, we see it as very like normal. Like, oh, that was nothing, right? Again, back to the original context, this was something. It looked weird. It looked bad. Jesus was okay with that. He's like, I'm going to risk that. I'm going to look weird. I'm going to let people speak ill of me if they must because I need to share the love of God with this woman. I need to point her to the one who created her. And this is the kind of love that we need to have for people that are not like us, that we're willing to, to, to look weird, that we're willing to, I don't know, be offended, that we're willing to be in a culture that makes us uncomfortable or whatever, to share God's love with those people. And then we get this amazing interaction. Uh, she runs and tells everyone in the town, hey, you need to come hear this guy. Like, I, he's saying he's the Messiah, you need to come hear him. And now we can pick up what happens when they do. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And I'll talk again about that. It's a huge deal. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for, them, for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Guys, this is huge. This is pre-death and resurrection of Jesus. You have a whole community of Samaritans putting their faith in Jesus, proclaiming that he's the Savior of the world. And this started with Jesus reaching out to someone who is nothing like him and sharing God's love. And because of that, it was infectious and she had to tell everybody. And now they're like, hey, can you stay with us? Can you hang out with us? And so again, the author already mentioned Jews and Samaritans don't associate. I, I, I love reading up on this stuff, so I was like, well, how much is they don't associate, right? Is it just limited? The, what I could find in commentaries is that the Jews and Samaritans, the closest we would be able to kind of compare it to, would be like the segregated South, pre-civil rights, or like 
apartheid in South Africa, right? Like this was like they had different sides of the road they walked on, different wells that they got their water from, different places they could eat. Like they did not associate. So when the Samaritans say to Jesus, hey, can you stay in our town for a couple days? And Jesus says yes because he wants to share God's love with them. Like this is... Guys, this is a huge freaking deal, and like we we don't get it. Like I, I read this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus stayed in a town. Like he stayed with people that all the other Jews who would have been looking at him would have been like, what the heck is Jesus doing? And if you want to make it even crazier, Jesus goes on later in the Gospels to tell a parable that we've probably all heard called the Good. Samaritan. Who does he make the hero of the story? The Samaritan that he's telling the Jews. He's like, you know who else can be godly and do things good? Samaritans. Like Jesus is bridging a gap here that is gigantic uh, in that day. And when he does, people put their faith in him. People see that love. These people were so hungry for something from God. They were so hungry for the love of God that in this story, we don't see Jesus doing miracles or healing people or raising dead. All he does is share God's love, share the truth that he's there, and people are like, yes, we want it. We need that. And this is the same today. If we just take God's love to people that need it, they are hungry for it. Sometimes we get nervous that like people are going to be mad or what no like go places where they offend you and share God's love and see what happens because the Bible tells us that when they do people will come to know Jesus this is how the gospel spreads this is incredible and so let me keep going here um so, so Jesus is in a place that's completely foreign to him uh it's completely different and this is where we're called to um and, and a lot of times we think of like the book of Acts as where the gospel starts spreading, right? Because the disciples go out from there and they go to these other countries and other places. But really it starts here. Like the Samaritans were not the Jews and Jesus reaches out and they, they start to put their faith in Christ and it starts to spread there. And then we do get to the book of Acts and what we see is again, people loving people that are nothing like them. And so you see Romans coming to know Jesus. You see Greeks coming to know Jesus. You see one of my favorite stories in Acts 8, Philip goes out because God tells him to and he meets an Ethiopian uh, on the road. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm reading this book called Isaiah and I don't understand it, right? And he's like, let me tell you about it. And he tells him about Jesus. And then there's a pond and he's like, I think I want to know Jesus. He's like, great. Well, you can and we can baptize you in this pond. And he's like, awesome. And like Ethiopians, right? One of the earliest converts that we see in Scripture is an Ethiopian who then takes that faith back to Ethiopia, which is why some of the oldest churches in the world are in Ethiopia. Um, and, and so it's amazing there. And then, oh, and in that story, if you, I was telling Dan this this morning, it's the only story in the Bible with somebody teleporting, which is just, yeah, so it, just go read it. Acts 8, after Philip leads that guy to Jesus, it says that the Lord took him up and put him somewhere else. And you're like, what the, like, they, I want some explaining. That's like one verse. Uh, anyway, we got to keep moving. Um, so this is how Christianity spreads, and this is how it spreads all over the world. I looked at a graph this past week from some Pew research, and it showed how with world religions, uh, pretty much every world religion has a hub, has a central place where most of their followers reside. Um, so for Islam, the Middle East, that's the largest population uh, of Muslims is in the Middle East. Now, are there Muslims in North America? Yes. Are there Muslims in parts of Asia? Sure. But, but Middle East, that, that, like that, that part of the world, that's where most of them are. Same is true with Hindus, mostly in India. Now, are they spread out a little bit here and there? There's pockets of them? Sure. But mostly in India. What's fascinating to me and what I think illustrates that this is what God's love is all about, Christianity doesn't have a hub. Like, we don't have a central place. When you look at the graph that I was looking at, um, it's just spread out. It's like, yeah, like 20% in South America and 15% in North America and 30% in Africa. Like, we're just everywhere. Like, we're like, yeah, yeah. There's no Mecca. There's no place that we need to go. There's no Holy Land that's like the place that we need to go be uh, or, or that we have to kind of uh, align with. Like, Christianity goes everywhere. It doesn't have a cultural context. It doesn't have a dress code. It doesn't have a certain foods that we're supposed to eat. Uh, any of that. And there was another map that showed just where Christianity is most prevalent, meaning it's like kind of the most popular religion in that country, right? Not, not saying that everybody there is a Christian. Christianity was everywhere, like literally everywhere. The Middle East, obviously, uh, Islamic, and there was a little bit going on in China with unaffiliated, but mostly Christianity was like widespread. You could go from Greenland to, you know, Thailand to Brazil to North, and, and Christianity is prevalent there. And to me, that's exactly what is happening here. It's spreading. It's infectious. When people get a hold of God's love, they want it. And it looks different. If you went to a church service today in China uh, versus a church service here, way different. 
All right, and I, I know this from going to at least a couple of countries, like a church service in Haiti, way different than here. Very exciting. Typically outside, like under mango trees. And you're like, this is amazing. Like, I, I love going to church services when I've been in Haiti. Or a church service in Mexico, man. I went, th- I went there once, and they sung, there was this old song, Celebrate Jesus, Celebrate. I don't know if anybody remembers that. In Spanish, very hard to say. It's Celebrate Jesus, Celebrate. And, dude, they sung that song for like 25 minutes. Like, just kept going. It never ended. And I was like... Celebrate, like it's it just, I could, it, it still sticks with me. And they were so excited. I mean, they're dancing and screaming. I'm like, if we did a song for 20, 25 minutes, you guys would be like, all right, I'm gonna go get some coffee. I need to, I need to, I need to pump myself back up. This is a long song, and it's got like three words in it. Um, but man, something else just interesting before we move on and kind of transitioning into the last point here. Um, we take, we take the love of God to those that are like us, to those that are not like us. Um, do you guys know where Christianity is growing the fastest? I asked this in the first service, and everyone was really timid. So anybody here, just name some countries, and I'll tell you if you're right. Does anyone know what country where, where Christianity is growing the fastest right now? China. China's up there. Middle East, Africa. All right. So, so you're getting close. So the country where Christianity currently today is growing the fastest is Iran. Um, it is exploding there. People are coming to Jesus in, in huge numbers, uh, which is crazy because distributing any Christian literature in Iran is illegal. It's punishable. Like, you will go to jail, you could lose your life for that, and it is exploding. Not only that, but converting to Christianity, in most instances, is illegal in Iran. So, like, everything happening there is hush-hush and done, like, in personal interactions and, like, hey, would you like to come to my house and have have a meal and let me share something with you. And, and I don't know, I have a friend that's over in the Middle East and he doesn't share where he's at, him and his wife, because of safety concerns, but they've been there six, seven years. He may be in Iran, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to say his name or anything else about him, but he, he's somewhere in the Middle East and I love seeing the pictures uh, of them there because it just again reminds me that Christianity isn't bound by like a, a cultural context or a country or a race or a language or anything else because this is like my buddy and like his wife who are uh, he's, you know, they're just like average looking white people, right? And they moved to the Middle East and he grew a big beard and they wear like the traditional robes every day and she has to wear a headscarf. All of that doesn't matter, right? Because they're sharing the love of Jesus with people and it's working. Like their people are coming to their house, they're having meals and they're sharing the love of Jesus with them and people are getting saved. And that's what's happening wherever they're at. That's what's happening in Iran. That's what's happening across lots of parts of Africa and other parts of the Middle East. Because when you love people that are not like you, you go where they are, and you share life with them, and you love them. And that's what Jesus does with this Samaritan woman. And when I mentioned that in Iran, you could actually lose your life for it, that leads us to the last category, which brings us all the way back to what Jesus was saying at the beginning. And that is love those that don't like you. So we talked about loving those like you, those not like you. Now I want to take a minute and talk about those that don't like you. I don't like you is maybe a, a light way of saying this. Uh, but I want to take you to probably the, the, the best example of Jesus doing this in the Gospels. We're going to read a few, few sections from this story. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. That's Judas, if you're not familiar with this story. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So we'll get to the rest of the story in a second. But I I love this passage because of of one thing in particular. I believe that Jesus was very intentional with his words. I believe that he chose his words carefully uh, and that he knew that his words would live on. And, And so he chose his words carefully as he was speaking. And the authors who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, when they recorded those words, they chose how to write them carefully. I believe both of those things are true. And, and what, what is important here is when Judas betrayed Jesus for money, uh, he, he, Jesus could have addressed him any way he wanted. This is going to be his last interaction with Judas. Judas was so regretful and remorseful about what he did that he goes out after this and kills himself. Um, and so Jesus, Jesus is, is very familiar with Judas. They've been traveling together for years. Uh, he has loved Judas like a brother. He, he has been there for Judas. And so Judas shows up, and this to me, I'm like, if I know this is happening, I feel like this is where you're like, hey, snake, hey, hey you giant jerk, hey, hey, you liar, betrayer, you two-faced son, like, there's so many words that would come to mind, right, in this moment. 
And, and Jesus, the word he chooses for Judas is friend. And that, every time I read that, just chokes me up. Like, in his absolute worst, Jesus looks at him and calls him friend. And this, this takes me back to Adam and Eve in the garden and, and God loving them and God continuing his covenant with them. This takes me to Cain who's scared he's going to lose his life after he murders his brother and God says, I'm going to place a seal on you. Like God shows up when people are at their absolute worst, when they are terrible, terrible people. And he says, hey, friend, like this is not, this is not out of character. This is the character of God, that when we are at our absolute worse. When we would do things that would betray him, he would look at us and call us friend. And so from there, Jesus is seized, and he, he is taken by the Roman guard, and he's beaten and tortured. He's before Pilate and Herod, and a whole crowd of people screaming, crucify him. And in those moments, Jesus continues to love. He has a love for them so strong that nothing is going to deter it. And we know that because we get a glimpse of it when he's on the cross. And it says this in Luke, when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Guys, this is the gospel. This is what it's all about, is that in our worst, God looks out and says, forgive. Like Jesus looks out and says, Father, forgive them. Right, that in his, his moment uh, before death, when he's full of pain and, and anguish, that he's still so full of love that he would say, Father, forgive him. That his disciples are sitting there thinking like, I remember when he said, love your enemies and, and bless those who curse you and want to do harm to you. And then they're seeing him live it out in real time. Like, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, 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 he really meant it. He didn't just mean like on a bad day. He didn't just mean like when someone cuts you off in traffic. Like he meant if they're trying to kill me, I should still love them. Like this is radical love. This is not run of the mill. This is not like let's just be nice to each other. This is like I want to love people if it kills me. And I'm going to keep loving them if it does to the end. And I love this passage. And then you have this guy, Paul, in Acts, who, who literally is a Pharisee trying to stop Christianity from spreading, and he's out killing Christians. And Jesus shows up, resurrected form, and he's like, hey, stop doing it, and also follow me. And Paul does. And then later we get Paul actually summing this whole kind of idea up into this statement in Romans. He says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, this is what it's all about. This is what the gospel is about. It's that God loved us when we're at our worst. He died for us when we were at our worst. And now as Christians, we're to take that love into the world. And if you don't know Jesus, this is what he did for you. Like he loved you so much that he would die on the cross for you and he would go anywhere to, to make sure that you knew his love, that his love would spread throughout the world so that you would have a chance to hear about it today. That's the love that God has for you. And so as Christians, this is the love that we're called to. And uh, I want to leave you guys, we're, we're going to just pull a few questions up here that I think this week, as you go into your week, I want you to start to ask yourself these questions. And uh, Carlos, if you're able to hear me, you can come up now because I'll be done in a second. Um, just, just as we think about this, as these categories of love, this, this is the questions I want you to ask yourself. Boom. All right. The people in my life most like me. Do they feel loved by me? Or maybe ask yourself, how am I loving them? Right? Like the, the people that are most familiar, most similar, like what are you doing to show love to them? Do they feel loved by you? Start there. If they don't, there's a problem, right? Like if there's issues with your kids or your spouse or whoever else, like how do you this week make them feel loved? Like what can you do? Um, moving on from there, are there people in my life that are nothing like me? And do they feel loved by me? So I put this in here because I, I'm probably, I would say I'm pretty sure there's probably some people here who are like, I don't actually have a lot of people in my life that aren't like me. I've kind of surrounded myself with people similar to myself. And, and this is dangerous and it's what's happening more and more in our society, right? Like especially thanks to social media. We can all just block and hide everybody we don't like. And then we're like, oh, here's all the people that think exactly like me. This is what the world is like. Um, it's not, right? Like there's a million opinions on everything, right? And, and there's a million kind of people that think a lot of different things. 
A Christian, someone who loves Jesus, is going to get uncomfortable and is going to try to be around people they don't agree with and going to try to be around people that kind of make them mad sometimes and is going to try to interact with people that get under their skin or that offend them or that do things that, that, that just seem weird or inappropriate so that they can show the love of Jesus to them. That's what we're called to do, right? Jesus didn't say, go unto all the people just like you. He said, go unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's everybody, right? Like, that's all the people. So, so who in your life is not like you, and, and do they feel loved? How are you showing them love? And then the last one, who are my enemies, and do they feel loved by me? Again, back to the beginning, I said, you know, the Jews, it was very obvious. Romans, do they have more enemies than that? Probably, but the Romans were a good starting point. Like, yep, those guys are our enemies, right? So, so ask yourself, like, who really is like somebody that I strongly dislike or, or is against me or has harmed me or hurt me? And I'm not asking you to go put yourself in dangerous situations or places where you could be abused or anything like that. What I'm asking is like the people that are against you, how are you going to show them love? That love may be at a distance in some cases and that love may be closer in other cases. But how are you going to show them love? Because this is, this is how the gospel spreads. This is how Jesus works. It's like we share love with people that aren't like us and people that actually don't like us and then they come to know Jesus and the gospel continues to spread. This is why Iran is exploding with Christianity. It's why China is exploding with the love of Jesus because people chose to go and share the love of Jesus with those people. And now it's taken on its own thing and the people who went originally probably aren't even there anymore. And it's just up to people in that country to share the love of Jesus, which is so cool. Um, I said I would wrap today by sharing a, a, a conversation that I have with a friend. So I'm gonna do that and then we'll pray. Um, about a year ago, I was on this road trip through Texas and, and I saw a friend of mine who was a mentor uh, earlier in my life. And we both worked at this ministry that uh, was great. It was a youth ministry. We did missions trips all over the world and, and youth conventions and a bunch of stuff. And, and this was like the men's leader on campus, did a bunch of uh, guy stuff and it was great. And um, I, that, that place eventually closed. It went through some financial hardship and made some poor decisions trying to recover from that. And eventually that led to them closing their doors. As you can imagine, as things went downhill, it was more and more stressful to be there. Um, I left years before it closed down, and he stayed almost to the end. I didn't leave because I wanted to. I got fired, so I'm not bragging. Like, I, uh, they, they did some restructuring, and they're like, you're not as important as you thought you were. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll move to Delaware. Um, but, uh, but man, he stayed till almost the end, so he kind of got to see it at its worst. And so when we had dinner, uh, we were catching up, and he's like, hey, do you want me to tell you about how that was back then? I was like, yeah, man. Um, and one of the things that, that, this is what stuck with me. So the, one of the leaders there, uh, one of the founding leaders there was a fireball for Jesus, still is. And after the place closed down, he actually came out and said, hey, I'm sorry for the way I handled those last couple of years. I repent. Um, you know, I should have made some better decisions and handed some things off. And, and just a godly guy, like just a guy that to this day, I, I'll probably look up to that guy the rest of my life. Like he is an amazing man of God. But during those last few years, stressful, all that kind of stuff, he had times that he blew up, that he lost his cool, that he said things that were hurtful, that he made decisions that hurt people. Um, and my friend, my mentor, he said, you know, like some people got bitter about that and like, you know, really clung to that and held on to it. He's like, and I always chose like, this is a guy who, yes, God has saved him, but saved him from like some intense stuff in his past, from abuse and from, from neglect and from a bunch of things in his childhood that really, really hurt him. And so I'm seeing a guy that loves Jesus, but was brought out of a lot of that stuff. And so in a sinful world, of course, there's gonna be moments that stuff comes up and comes out in a way that's hurtful to me. And all I have to remember is that this is a guy that God is still working on. And he's like, and if I can do that, I can love him and I can work with him and he can be my friend and we can do good things for the kingdom in this world. And like, it has been a year and I'm still wrapping my head around that. Like, this is a guy who God's still working on. And I've been trying to, I've been trying so hard. Like this is, this has like been the biggest challenge the last year of my life. Like when I'm in a fight with my wife or a friend or a, you know, a relative or, or anybody else or a coworker, like trying to recall that advice, this is a person that God is still working on. And when I want to beat myself up for my own sin, telling myself, like, I'm a person that God's still working on, right? Like, and so if there's anything I could have you kind of walk away with practically, like, start to think about that. that that's, that's to me how we start loving those that are not like us, that don't always agree with us, that are different than us. It's just remembering that's a person that God's still working on. And it may take a while. And they may not know Jesus at all. God's still working on them. Right? He has a plan for their life. And part of that plan is you being in it. Part of that plan is you sharing the love of Jesus with them. And so I want to go ahead and pray. You guys can bow your heads 
And um, close your eyes and we'll, we'll wrap here. Um, so first, we always try to give an opportunity for people who don't know Jesus to come to know him. So if you're here and I'm talking about the love of Jesus and how it's infectious and how he wants to do great things in your life and how he died for you at your worst and he wants to be there for you at every moment of your life and, and, and you don't know him yet, um, I encourage you to just put your hand up and we're going to pray a prayer together. And I'll be honest, I can never see at this point. So this is what I'm going to do is just right there, you pray to God. And, and the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is Lord, that you would be saved. And so you just begin to do that right there in your seat. You just say, Lord, I am sorry for my sin and I invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And that I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again, that you came for me, Jesus. And if you do that, I encourage you after service, fill a connection card out or grab one of us to let us know so that we can follow up and help you along in your journey. But for the rest of you guys, I just want to pray for you. Because to me, as I studied this message, it was challenging me. It was tearing me up inside of like, I know there's places that I need to be more loving. I know there's people I need to love better. I know there's people that sometimes I struggle to remember that they're someone that God is still working on. And so I'm going to pray that over you. I would say, hey, raise your hand if you're struggling with that. But I think if you're a person and you're following Jesus, you probably are dealing with this. That, that's my assumption. If not, and you've already gotten it, please let me know how. And we'll, we'll chat in the lobby. Um, let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that when we were at our worst, uh, you died for us and you loved us. God, you're so good. You're so awesome. And Lord, I just pray for everybody here, Lord, that we would be able to take that love into our week, that we'd be able to take that love into our interactions with other people every day, um, that those who are, are just get under our skin, those who are against us, those who are really different than us, those who offend us, Lord, that we would look at them with your eyes, the way you looked at the Samaritan woman, the way you looked at Judas, the way you looked at the crowd, and we would see people that you're still working on, and we would give grace, and we would be patient, and we would show love to them uh, in a way that they haven't seen before, in a way they haven't experienced, God, and that that love would be infectious, and more and more people would come to know you, Jesus, as a result. God, we thank you so much again for your love. I pray that we would all take that into our week, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, you can stand up. We're going to worship together uh, one last time as we leave here today. Um, if you're wanting to give, if you're a member of the church and, and you want to give, you can do so online or through text to give or out in the lobby. I, I mentioned connection cards. If you have a prayer request or something else you'd like us to know, you can fill that out, including if you prayed that prayer today for the first time. Um, but other than that, everybody have an awesome 4th of July. We are so glad you came out. We love you. We'll see you next week.